In the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the early 1990s, the 1917 clinic, the HIV clinic at UAB, organized volunteers as care teams to provide practical, emotional, and spiritual support for persons with HIV, some of whom were dying alone. As you likely know, in those days, an HIV-positive diagnosis was practically a death sentence. At that time, most of the patients of the 1917 clinic were gay, white men, many of them Christian or from Christian families. Sometimes the reason that these men needed a team of volunteers to support them was that their families and their faith communities were no longer in relationship with them. This was 30 years ago, my friends. There was so much stigma. There was so much shame. There was so much we did not know about the disease at that time. One of the most involved early founders of the care team movement was a woman named Judy Bridgers. Perhaps some of you know Judy. She was a four foot 11 force of nature. Judy came out of the Baptist Church of the Covenant, a congregation birthed from the civil rights movement. Judy was a mover and a shaker in so many ways. And Judy's heart was big and it was bold. She and her husband, Bill, who happened to be the first dean of the School of Public Health at UAB, opened their home to become an informal hospice for men who were dying of AIDS. These were scary, torturous times. Choices were made by earnest lovers of Christ trying to figure out how best to follow him in the midst of a very scary crisis. Today's gospel reading is a challenging account of the costs of following in the way of Jesus. This setting is such that Jesus is sending his disciples out into a hostile world to spread the good news. What we hear today is part of a long discourse intended to prepare the disciples for the dangers that lay ahead. So like often in scripture, we're only hearing one side of a conversation. For example, when Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry if they call you Beelzebul, who by the way, is a false God from the Hebrew scriptures, whose name literally means king of the trash heap. So Jesus says, don't worry if they call you Beelzebul, they call me that too. And when he is saying that, likely he is, be, is responding to being called a false god, which for him and anyone following him is very dangerous. 
Thus, the compulsion for Jesus to say to the disciples and us today, even though following me can be dangerous, do not be afraid, my beloveds. Your loving parent knows everything about you, and you are so precious, a priceless gift in God's sight. If only the message stopped there, but it does not. What follows these words of comfort are some, for me, some of the hardest words in all of scripture. I mean, for me, it's pretty hard to square the Prince of Peace, the one who repeatedly proclaims peace to you, with the one who tells his followers, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. Pretty hard to hear for me, imagine for many of us. So perhaps a little background might be helpful. Jesus is employing apocalyptic language, familiar to his listeners and almost incomprehensible to our 21st century ears. Apocalyptic language is not intended to be taken literally, and it is intended to be so dramatic that it shakes us up. Jesus is shaking us up out of our sanitized views of Christian discipleship and drawing us, drawing us closer to him toward the revolutionary, costly call to devote our lives to loving and following him. Jesus is claiming his primacy upon our hearts. Apocalypse, which many of you likely know, means to reveal or to uncover. So when we hear, have no fear of them for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, we have a clue, okay, Jesus is utilizing apocalyptic language here. He is offering his followers and us the eschatological hope that even in the persecutions his followers receive, even in the heartache and pain we experience here today, one day the veil will be lifted and all will be healed and all will be revealed when we sit together at that heavenly banquet. Remember, Jesus employs this dramatic language as he is marching toward his own impending persecution and death. And there is a progression to Jesus's cadence. What I whisper in your ear in the dark, shout to the world. Who whispers to one another in the dark? Think about that. Who's whispering to one another in the dark? Beloveds do. Jesus beckons us to marry our hearts, our souls, our bodies to him. He is asking for nothing short of complete surrender. We are all equipped individually and as a community to receive this love, to discern Jesus's desires for, for us through the whispers of the indwelling spirit by devoting ourselves to the practices of our faith, taking time in silence, in prayer, what we're doing right now, in worship, in studying scripture, in serving, taking Sabbath, we are cultivating our hearts. 
Not only is Jesus speaking to us individually, but he speaks to us communally. So I wasn't raised in the South, but in Southern cadence, it's like this. Jesus is saying, all y'all need to not be afraid. And all y'all better come on and be the collective body of Christ and follow me. We are called individually and we are called communally. My guess is those faith communities who stepped up early in the AIDS pandemic and courageously said, we will claim you to those unclaimed human beings, had a practice of sacrificial hospitality before the big request ever came. As Christians, we interpret scripture through the lens of Jesus's life. How did Jesus behave? What did he say? The bulk of the gospels show us that the path of following Jesus is to be loving of God and of our neighbor, to be merciful like the Good Samaritan, to be forgiving like the prodigal father, to be sacrificially self-giving like Jesus. We are invited to live lives that are bigger than our own small desires. Trappist monk Erasmo Lieva Maricacus, now full disclaimer, I don't just quote this guy because he has the coolest name on the planet. He has a fabulous four huge part commentary on the Gospel of Matthew that just is beautiful. So Mary Caucus proposes that Jesus is compelling us to see he's offering us a choice, like a sword slicing through a path, creating two paths, one which leads towards death and another that leads to eternal life in Christ. With the sword of truth, Jesus slices the path for us. Follow me to Jerusalem or take the road toward the real king of the trash heap, all of those false gods, the god of materialism, the god of pride, the god of selfishness, the god of judgmentalism, and god of fitting in instead of standing up for what we know at the core of our being is right. The sword of Christ pierces our hearts and asks, do you desire union with me? Christ pierces through the path of our choices day in and day out. I wonder how many small yeses Bill and Judy Bridger said before the big yes to open their home as sanctuary. Let's face it, discerning our way is no simple matter. It requires cultivation of a heart, of the heart with a, desi <clears throat> a desire, a willingness, a commitment to offer our heart, our soul, our whole being to God. This community and the greater community many cho times chose the path of Christ during the COVID-19 pandemic and in response to the tragedy of June 16th, 2022. 
Pablo Pascal was an acclaimed 20th century musician. He was also a peace activist during World War I, World War II, the Spanish Civil War. He was a Nobel Peace nominee. Pascal writes, each person has a basic de decency and goodness. If he listens to it and acts on it, he is giving a great deal of what the world needs most. It is not complicated, but it takes courage. It takes courage for a person to listen to his own goodness and act on it. I'll just say that last part again. It takes courage for a person to listen to his or her own goodness and act on it. End of quote. My friends, Jesus didn't come to wage holy wars. He came to lay claim on our conscience. Lay claim on our conscience above family, above country, above our church even, when the body is misguided. Align with me, Jesus whispers. Surrender to me. The sword Jesus wields pierces through our hearts just as the sword pierced the side of the crucified Christ, pouring out water and blood like the water and wine of our Eucharist. Pour out your lives, Jesus beckons. Unceasingly pour out your lives in love. Be icons of me out in this hurting world. Christ shapes us into icons of him with our ongoing choices. Will we work toward forgiveness? Will we listen in love to someone who is different or difficult? Will we make a meal for our sick neighbors? Each of these holy yeses are pulling back the veil, exposing the kingdom of heaven right here on earth. So much good came from and continues to come from those brave souls who cared for those young men with HIV over three decades ago. Thousands of care teams have been formed in the United States, in Canada, and in Europe even. Not only for persons with HIV, but today it is a model for how congregations and community support all kinds of needs. And full disclosure, for me personally, it was through the care teams that I met my beloved husband of 19 years, Malcolm Marler. So I'm a big fan. Where today, right now in your life, in the life of this community, is Christ's sword cutting a path for us? The sword Christ wields pierces our hearts with compassion, cutting a courageous path toward union with him who truly is the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen.